The reading's taken from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 to 25. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Simon. Uh, During Lent, I'm asking the church to read this book by John Mark Comer, Live No Lies. Uh, There are copies available on the welcome desk if you like. They cost £12 if you've got that. uh, That's great. If you haven't, we'll take a tenner. If you can't afford it, you can have one. And as I said last week, don't lie if about not being able to afford it. It won't do you any good if you tell lies to get it. Uh, and if you're loaded, give £20 and pay for one for someone else. That's fine. Um, there are three enemies that wage war on our soul. For hundreds of years, these have been referred to as the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, not in the sense of the goodness of the world that God created, but in the sense of the world that is godless, pulling away from God. The flesh, which is our sinful nature, our our disordered desires that want what's wrong or too much of something. And the devil, who is real and who exists and who lies to us. Uh, And we're taking three Sundays to think about those three enemies of our soul. The devil and his lies we thought about last week, and we counteract that by the truth, uh, particularly the truth of Scripture, and by giving time in prayer to say, Lord, what, what lies am I believing? Uh, Today we're going to be thinking about the flesh, that's our disordered desires inwardly, and next week we'll think about the the world in the sense of being godless, uh, pulling against us. Uh, And John Mark Comer does this really well, three sections in the book, and his thesis is that the devil lies to us to deceive us, and those lies play to our disordered desires, they play to the things we want that we shouldn't want. Uh, And then the world around us says, no, that's really good, if it feels good, do it. And they gang up together and they wage war on our soul. Uh, And the truth is that as we surrender to Jesus as Lord, we become more truly 
who we're made to be, that lovely song we just sang, I Surrender All, so countercultural. There's an old Church of England prayer, a collect that says, God, whose service is perfect freedom. And that's what we long for. We believe that God is good, that he knows us best, uh, and that as we fight against sin, the world, and the devil, under the strength of God's Holy Spirit, he sets us free from those things. So we desire the wrong things less and less, and we want the things of God more. Uh, Now, today we're thinking about the flesh, and this is stuff that's in us. Uh, The devil is out there, and he lies to us. The godless world lies to us as well. But this is stuff that's in us. And all of us have different issues. And I don't know what anyone's issues are. I know what my own are. So I'm going to pray now that as we speak, that God, by his Holy Spirit, would just point out something that we need to work on. Uh, When we get sort of convicted about one thing, it's probably God by his Holy Spirit. If you're sitting there feeling, oh goodness me, I'm useless at absolutely everything, that is not God, that is the devil lying to you. You're not useless at absolutely everything. You are a child of the Heavenly Father and he loves you. Uh, So let's pray that we hear the whisper of the Spirit as I preach and not anything from anywhere else. So dear Lord, we praise you that you've made us in your image, male and female, reflecting who you are. Praise you that you are a God of relationship, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and you live in an eternal relationship of love and you call us into that relationship. Praise you that Jesus died to set us free from the guilt of sin and from the grip it has on our lives and that one day he will return and make everything new. And in the meantime, Lord, we want to become more the people you've made us to be. So as we think about this whole area of the flesh, the sinful nature, will you help me as I speak? And may we listen to you. And will you just point out to us the next thing we need to work on particularly uh, as we become more like you? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I remember as a teenager hearing a story, an old story. It's not an exact parallel for what we're talking about today. But I found it really helpful and I still think it's pretty close. And uh, and so I'm going to tell this story. uh, And it it helps practically to work out what we should do. There are kind of two natures in all of us. God has made us good in his image. But we've sinned and we've fallen and there's our sinful nature. And these two sort of are a bit at war within us. Uh, The story was told that I heard all those years ago as a teenager from about a hundred years ago. An old Welsh crofter uh, lived up on the hills, used to come down to to the village, really, the town, uh, once a week on market day. And he set his dogs fighting. It's not anything we would celebrate, but he used to take bets on which dog would win. Uh, Not particularly pleasant, that's just what he used to do. And the people of the village would place their bets. But over time... The old Welsh Welsh crofter got more money off them than he took back. And he always seemed to know which dog was going to win. And no one else knew. And eventually, the people of the village just stopped placing bets. They thought, he's just cleaning us out. And they said to him, you always seemed to know which dog was going to win. Was it the brown one or the patchy one? And how did you know? And he said, it was very simple. Every week, I fed one and starved the other. And whichever one I I fed, won. Now... The point of this sermon is pretty much in these two natures. Whichever one we feed is going to come out on top. If we feed what God is doing in us, 
his Holy Spirit, his word going his way, we become more and more like Jesus. But if we listen to the lies of the evil one, the if it feels good, do it of the world, the, the, the desires, the over-desiring of things uh, that are not what God's calling us to do, and we give in to that, then that nature will, have its, will grow. And that's what this sermon is really about. And there are various places in the Bible to go for this. Uh, we're going to go to this passage in Galatians chapter 5 and a bit of chapter 6. You could go to Romans 8 really effectively or 2 Peter 2 if you want to look up some more passages on it. Uh, and there's far more in John Mark Comer's book as well, which is really helpful. Uh, but first of all, let me just introduce Galatians. Galatians, St. Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, eastern Turkey today, is a book about freedom. The issue they were facing was that people saying they had to be uh, they had to obey the Jewish law in every way, being circumcised and the food laws and everything else if they were going to be acceptable to God. And Paul knew that wasn't true. We are forgiven by grace. We're acceptable to God, not because we earn it. And he's saying, no, you are set free from the demands of the law in trying to get right with God. But at the other end of the pendulum, there are those who are saying, well, if we're free from the law, we can do what on earth we like. And that's, that had led to what you could call licentiousness, just really unhealthy, depravity. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the way either. If you like three-point sermons, this isn't one, but here's a, here's a free one for you. There, he's against legalism on the one hand and licentiousness on the other and the way of liberty in the freedom in the middle. That's what Galatians is about. Now, when I was growing up, there was far more agreement in society about Christian ethics and the danger in the church was being legalistic as the world has got more and more into if it feels good do it the church is less legalistic but that infects that infects us and the book of Galatians has a lot to teach us and I haven't preached on it for ages and as I've prepared it it just seems to be so relevant so the first verse that Simon read to us thank you Simon for reading chapter 5 verse 13 you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We are free from the slavery of sin. Just as the Israelites were brought out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus has set us free from guilt. Baptism, we're washed clean of our sin, uh, free to enjoy God and be his people. But he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So the fact that we're set free from guilt and sin doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want. True freedom does not mean that. Trains need to run on tracks. If they think they can run on the field, it's not going to go well. Uh, we need a highway code in order to drive freely. There have been countries in the world where when they've been set free from dictatorship, they think we're free, we can do what we like, and I'll drive on whichever side of the road I like. That normally doesn't end well. Uh, we need a, co a highway code. If you ever played Monopoly with children, you'll know that if you leave them to play it their own way, oh, let's just not follow the rules. Why don't we do this? That usually ends in tears. Or um, if you've ever tried to referee sport with children, if you know what you're doing, the children enjoy it. If you don't, it's chaos. Uh, we need guidelines. We need, it's not just a sort of free-for-all. There is a freedom from something that we all want. We all want to be set free. We don't want to live under oppression -y. Oppression. We don't want to live under tyranny. We don't want to live under abuse. We don't want to live under slavery. We want to be set free. But there is a freedom for as well. 
If someone's been in prison and they are freed from prison, they have a choice. Do I go back to a life of crime or am I going to live life a different way? What am I going to use my freedom for? And freedom in the Bible is mostly about being free to be the people God has made us to be his way. And we believe the scriptures are the maker's instructions and we follow his way. Uh, Now our society is very big on freedom from. One of the prophetesses of our society is Elsa in Frozen. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. That is the sort of... Now, when we're coming out from oppression, that's good. But if it's just free to do whatever I like to whoever I like, then that's not biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is freedom for becoming the person God has made me to be. You may remember a few years ago, the girl guides changed their vows. I was never a girl guide for obvious reasons. Um, I was never a scout either, actually, for... But I knew the vows they used to make. They used to make vows to do their duty to God, to the Queen, and to other people or their neighbour. But a few years ago, they changed the Girl Guide vow to, I will be true to myself, which basically means you're promising to do what you like. And it's, it's that sort of modern culture of freedom from. I'm not going to be told what to do. It's certainly not about duty. I will be me. Now... It's right that we cast off oppression, but we are made for God and his way. And uh, to, go, to cast off legalism and go the other way, we wind up in just as much of a mess. Uh, we'll see this as we look through the flesh and the spirit, because this is, this is what's warring against us. That's a sort of overview, if you like, of freedom on Galatians. Free to be us, not just freedom from but freedom for, to be the people we're made to be. And the longer you've been a Christian, the more you know that in submitting to God's way, actually the more you, you become. That's certainly my testimony. The more I bow my knee to Jesus as Lord, the more I feel free actually to be the real me. Now this all plays out in the conflict of our flesh and our spirit, and that's what the rest of Galatians 5 is about. Let's read verses 16 to 17. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so you're not to do whatever you want. Freedom in the Bible does not mean I do whatever I like. It's being set free from a law that we couldn't keep. To walk by God's Holy Spirit his way. Uh, various people define the flesh in different ways. One person said it's the corruption that sins introduced into our desires. John Mark Comer in his book calls it the base primal animalistic desires for self-gratification, especially food and sex, but also money or power or control. Uh, now, it's not a Christian distinction. The ancient moral teachers, including the Buddha and Plato, have talked about this conflict within people, a higher Uh, if you like, ethical desire that leads to peace and contentment and a lower, more base one that leads to what we'd call addictions now and being in sort of slavery to whatever we're, we're really going for. It's the difference between pleasure and happiness. Pleasure is a very instant thing. And we know when we want, whether it's just another, uh, 
My son Daniel made these brilliant cookies with raspberry and white chocolate and stuff. Absolutely fantastic. I had one. When I had one, I wanted another, and then I wanted another, and I wanted another. Now, you know, whatever it is, there's an over-desiring. Uh, we want, I want it because it's pleasurable. Uh, happiness is much more connected with the deep being content in who we are. So folks who are always chasing pleasures, pleasurable at the time, but if it's sinful, it often has a bitter aftertaste, like a sugar-coated pill, uh, and there's not a contentment, so you, they chase more of the pleasure. If it's alcohol they're chasing, you need more and more alcohol to, to do the hit, and the danger is winding up as an alcoholic. Or people with drugs, they take drugs because they work, they produce a pleasure. But then you need more and more and more and more, and the pleasure decreases and the amount increases until rather than you being in control of it, it's, control, it's in control of you. Uh, in this book, he references one of the great academic philosophers of our age, uh, Charles Taylor, uh, who, just, who and his book is, uh, is very, very substantial, and I have not got uh, very far with it myself. Uh, but I like it when other people have and they digest it for you. He talks about the fact that in our society, our society used to be an authenticity, uh, sorry, an authority society, and we're now in an authenticity society. What does he mean? An authority society that many of us grew up on, those who are older, is we know what the moral code is. Whether we're Christians or not, we share these Christian values. We understand, we honour the Bible as expressing God's teaching. Uh, we believe God is. God wants the best for us, or at least society recognises what's right. We obey the law. Uh, we do what's right. And even if we were wanting to do what's wrong, basically everybody else would point us in the right direction. That's a kind of authority society which tells us what to do. Now, we've moved to an authenticity society. Folks have found that too oppressive. They've said, I want to be me. No rules, no right, no wrong for me. I'm going to be free. And now we've got to be true to ourselves. But how do people work that out? We see people riddled with anxiety and making a right mess, trying to be true to themselves. Uh, and instead of uh, the old thing that was wrong was denying God, now the thing that seems to be ultimately wrong is denying yourself. People are given free reign. But what do we do with these conflicts of desires? We're given desire by God. To love your job is a good thing. But if you love your job more than your husband or wife or your children... That's going to create a problem in your relationships. How do we order these loves? If we want a good thing, food is good. God has given sex as a good gift within marriage to glue people together. But when people sleep around outside marriage, it slowly rips them apart, joined to so many different people, they don't know who they are anymore. When we want too much of the right thing or the right thing in the wrong place, that becomes destructive. It's the difference between feeling good and being good. You can feel good, that goes up and down with the pleasures. But actually, if you become more the person God's made you to be, then you become more content. And slowly the devil's lies and the desires of the flesh have less and less pull on you. Uh, and we experience this conflict uh, at a relatively trivial level, though it's, we all have to deal with this. We all kind of want to be fit and healthy, but we all like, I mean, I like sweet biscuits and cakes and I like crisps. Now, if I give in to my desire for biscuits and cakes and crisps, I'm not going to be a fit and healthy person. I live an uneasy tension between those two myself. Uh, 
When it comes to relationships, money, power, sex, leisure, our choices, these have serious implications on how things worked out. Uh, and the interesting thing about freedom is that we are made to be free, to be ourselves, but we're also made for loving relationship. Just as fish live in water, we are made to be in loving relationships, in friendships, uh, in families as we grow up, whether we're single or married, we need to be in loving relationships. And we're made for love. The trouble with love is it's about self-giving. And if you're giving to others, you're not then free to do what you want. If you have children, uh, if you just go off and do what you want, that's not very good for the children. But when you sacrifice your life for the children, well, it feels restricted. So how do we be ourselves? God has made us to be free, and our freedom is about love and self-giving. And this is where the paradoxes of Jesus' teaching come in. Jesus talks about denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following him. If we try and save our lives, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm going to do what I like, that doesn't work well in loving relationships. That doesn't play well. But if we give our lives to God and going his way, we actually discover that's more of who we're meant to be. So to come back to our desires, we have both strong desires and deep desires. Our deep desires are probably to be healthy, good people, fit, in good relationship with others and with God. That's what we want at our best. But our strongest desires come in the moment of temptation. Can I resist another of those biscuits? Or what about when lust plays strongly? Or a glass of wine is a wonderful thing and commended by the scripture. But when I've had too many and want more, not so good. And that can be a strong desire and it overpowers our deep desire. It's like the Welsh crofter with his dogs. Whichever one we're going to feed up is going to win that fight. So if we play to the deceitful lies of the devil and the world saying, if it feels good, do it. Why not? What's wrong? Have another one. Do you do what you like? You be you. Our strong desires overcome our deep desires to be the people that God has made us to be. Uh, John Mark Comer quotes a couple of times in this book, um, Edmund Burke. Now, I've never been a great reader. I've never read Edmund Burke before, but he wrote around the time of American independence and explaining all behind their Declaration of Independence, how they set up their constitution. Uh, and in a debate as to why they put certain things in, he said this. I'll read it a couple of times. It just takes a little while to get your head around, but it's really important. He says, Society cannot exist unless a controlling power upon our will and appetite is put somewhere. Now, that makes sense. If there's no control on will and appetite and everybody's just doing what they like, society falls apart. So the less control there is within ourselves, he says, the more control has to be imposed from without by authority. And he writes, it's ordained in the eternal constitution of things that people of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. In other words, if you can't control your appetites, your desires they will start to control you and you will wind up in a slavery of addictions to things rather than being truly free. And this is what the Bible teaches, that we're, not just, we're free from guilt, we are forgiven, 
but we're free to be ourselves, not just to do whatever we like. Uh, so let's come back to the contrast between how the flesh and the spirit play out. Galatians 5:19 to 23. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's your choice to go down that route, then day by day by day by day, you are choosing a godless eternity. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit, what God works in us by his Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience in the version I learned it, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against that sort of thing. If you are a person of love, joy, peace, you don't need the law to tell you what's right. If there's patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. If everyone is like that, we barely need a government to tell us what to do. But if everyone is going the other way, to the sort of Elsa freedom, then we're going to need an awful lot of imposition. That's the tension between us. So the devil lies to us and his lies are geared towards these disordered desires. He doesn't tell irrelevant lies. John Mark Comer's example is he doesn't go around lying that Elvis is alive and hiding in Mexico um, because that makes no difference. Irrelevant. Who cares whether he is or he isn't? One or two might. But, um, but he lies a sort of lie like this. Pornography is normal. And as you're growing up, you need it to grow into sexual maturity. Everybody else is doing it. That's how you'll learn. That plays to the disordered desire of lust and sex in the wrong way. And the tragedy is it can ruin what God's beautiful intention for marriage is of a man and a woman in lifelong relationship. And the more the world goes into I am free from, I'll do what I like, the less it's been able to do long-term committed relationships that actually lead to deep contentment and satisfaction. So how do we resist the pull of the flesh? It's strong. We all know how it plays out in our own lives. Um, how do we resist the desire, the deceits of the evil one? Well, Paul goes on. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So there's a negative thing. We have to crucify the flesh. And then positively, we have to walk in step with God's Holy Spirit. Now, at Easter, we will meditate on the cross of Jesus, that extraordinary loving self-sacrifice for us. People of the day knew all too well what crucifixion meant. It was a long, slow, painful death. When we turn to Christ, we say no to our old, selfish, sinful desires and yes to Jesus. We, as it were, crucified the flesh but it doesn't die quickly. It dies a long, slow, lingering death that takes most of our life. When you've been walking with Jesus for many, many, many years, you will know that those old desires stop having such a grip on you, slowly. God sets us free. And we start to desire the right things more and more and more. But it's a long, slow process, and we have to crucify the old nature, the flesh, and keep in step with the Spirit.
And how do we do that? Well, in the next chapter, chapter 6, Paul talks about sowing and reaping. And that's really, that's, this, it's all in the little things uh, of what we do that slowly build the direction and character. So let me read to you from Galatians 6. Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now you know how sowing and reaping works, even if you grew up in cities and towns and you've barely ever seen farms. You sow a seed and sometime later you get a crop. In fact, the crop is far bigger than what you sow and it comes later. And this plays out both ways. If you sow to your flesh, later you will reap a much bigger destruction. If you sow to your spirit, later you will reap eternal life. And it's in these daily choices of what we sow by our habits, by what we say, by what we do, by what we say yes to, by what we say no to, that we build a destiny one way or the other. Now, the world around us is, of course, not all bad. Lots of it is very, very good because it's made by God. And the good bit of the world understands this. It understands sort of no pain, no gain, or garbage in, garbage out, the things uh, you hear. That's true. What we feed into our system is what plays out. If you're learning to play musical instruments, you've got to do your scales and your arpeggios or something like that if you're going to learn to be good. If you're learning a sport, you have to practice. Uh, we have to sow and discipline things we can do in order to be able to do what we can't do at the moment to get better. And so it is with our spiritual nature or our sinful nature. Whichever one we give the most attention to, we sow into more that's the one that winds up on top. So loving people tend to be loved. Hating people tend to be hated. Merciful people tend to get forgiven. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. How you sow into life will be how it plays out. And it, that will be how it plays out eternally. When we sow to Jesus and the way of his spirit daily, that is how things play out for all eternity. So you've probably heard this said before, if we sow a thought, we reap an action. We think about doing something, and then we do it. If we sow an action, we do something often enough, we reap, reap a habit. If we sow a habit, we reap a character. We become what we habitually do. And if we sow a character, we reap a, reap a destiny. That works both ways, to the flesh that leads to destruction or to the spirit that leads to life. I have never known anybody in a good, healthy marriage suddenly have an affair. But the tragedy of an affair or adultery usually comes after hundreds, if not thousands, of smaller decisions. Choosing not to spend that much time together, but to just do different things. Choosing to watch films which pander to the unhealthy bit of our nature that normalize affairs. Little bits of flirting with people at work or texts that you probably wouldn't want partner to see. And over a long period of time, those little things lead to a, a, a thing where you start considering something you would never have considered before, where the grass looks greener on the other side. I always say the grass is greener where you water it. If you're married, water the grass in your own marriage. And the other side of the fence, the grass still needs cutting as well. People wind up in a different relationship and discover a year or two later that actually that's not great either because you've still taken yourself with you. 
C.S. Lewis writes brilliantly on this. Uh, he uses the illustration of a grumble. We grumble about something. Initially, we're distinct from the grumble. But we grumble more and more, and slowly we merge with the grumble. And at the end, there's nothing left but a grumble. That's all that's left. And it works positively too. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 23 to 25. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very soul? This is about who we are becoming in our deepest inner being. We're free from guilt, but we're free for being the people God's made us to be. Uh, now, crucifying the flesh means saying no to it. Lent is one of those seasons where folks often do that. For the last few years, I've started um, denying my flesh by, uh, by drinking water rather than tea or coffee or alcohol or wine. Um, and the first week of that is always horrible. The flesh hates it. It, wants, it gives you a headache to start with. Then every time you walk in, you want a cup of tea. Or but you slowly get used to it. Um, but I'm not doing it for any particular spiritual reasons. I'm doing it partly because I have sugar with my tea and coffee. And Juliet tries to get me to cut out sugar. And I think I'd rather drink water. So I drink water. Um, and I'm doing it partly to strengthen my no muscles. If I can say no to something that my body wants, a cup of tea with a sugar... Uh, then when some more serious temptation comes, I'll be better at saying no to it. But if I always give in to what I want on the small things, I might give in on the serious things. That's why fasting is an important discipline. And I have to say, I've not fasted enough. I'm rubbish at fasting. So I'm learning this in Lent, and it's something God's speaking to me about. We also need each other. Um, can we put up Galatians 5... Uh, oh, we need. Hold on, I've skipped in my notes. Let's make it man, more manageable and follow in the order I've done. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit. So four times in what Simon read, we had the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5:16 says this: "Walk by the Spirit." Galatians 5:18 says, "You're led by the Spirit." Galatians 5:22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and Galatians 5:25 says, live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We need God's Holy Spirit. On our own, we won't make it. But we also need each other. Look at that first verse Simon read, chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. If we're helping each other, and I think in our triplets or formations or prayer partnerships, to confess to each other, this is the area I struggle with. Small groups of 12 people may be too many for that form of intimate confession, but we need to share it with someone. It somehow breaks the power of it. We need each other, we need the Holy Spirit, and we need to keep the long-term view. Let's finish up with chapter six, verses nine to 10, and with this I'll close. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So we need to help each other. Uh, that's why I'm encouraging people to read this book. I'm encouraging people to talk about it in their small groups. There is a course for small groups now, encouraging you to talk about it in your prayer trips with each other. Let's this Lent really help each other 
to set our course on following Jesus and not being deceived by the lies of the devil that pander to our disordered desires that the world that we think about next week says is good. Let's stand and we'll pray together. And if the band would come back. Those of you with little children, sorry, I've preached a bit long and when we start singing, it'll be time to collect your children. We honour our children's leaders and we say 10 to. We've still got a few minutes before that, but uh, just to let you know, you need to collect them during the song. But as always, let's be still before the Lord for a minute and we say, come Holy Spirit and minister to us. For anyone who has been feeling condemned that there is hopeless at all of this, we break that as a lie of the evil one. We rebuke that. We thank you, Lord, we're made in your image and there's so much that is good. But we recognize this pull of the flesh, the sinful nature. And we pray, Holy Spirit, come and show us, if you haven't done already, what's the issue we need to give attention to now? to walk your way and not the wrong way. And we know we need each other on our own. We often give in. So I pray for grace in the prayer partnerships and triplets and formations to share vulnerably with each other, to support each other in this. We pray, come Holy Spirit, not just on us this morning, but on our whole church family, as at this time we think through these unholy trio that wage war on our soul, the world, the flesh and the devil. Help us to see the truth, help us to love the truth and live for the truth that we may become more like Jesus, more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, and all those other fruit of his spirit. And even as we sing about what we believe, what we trust in, continue to minister to us, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. <laughs>